when faith-based organizations and leaders put the kingdom of God above their organization's mission, what happens? What is possible when women and men pursue collaboration over competition and alliances over divisions? This is the Rooting for Rivals podcast, a six-episode series released in coordination with the new book, Rooting for Rivals, by Peter Greer and Chris Horst with Jill Heisey. Well, welcome to episode four of the Rooting for Rivals podcast, the fourth episode in a short series highlighting leaders pursuing collaboration over competition. In this episode, we look at open-handedness in fundraising through the lens of Melissa Russell at IJM. As the chief advancement officer at IJM, Melissa is leading the organization's advancement teams, driving the core strategies and engagements that fuel IJM's growth around the globe. In her role, Melissa is not only operating from a posture of open-handedness, but building an open-handed culture within the organization as well. In this conversation, Melissa shares what it looks like to raise money for your organization while also keeping the kingdom of God as your first Priority. But before we jump into that conversation, I've got the co authors of Rooting for Rivals, Peter Greer and Chris Horst, with me. Peter, will you share a little bit more about Melissa? When it comes to applying the principles of collaboration and partnership uh, within the realm of fundraising, there is no one who does this better than Melissa Russell and the team at IJM. Um, Melissa is someone that we first got to know uh, when we did an exchange visit with Hope International, and we were looking for other organizations that we could learn from, and IJM went out of their way to help us. And that started a long-term partnership and friendship with some of the team at IJM. And I've also seen Melissa mentor and coach uh, up-and-coming nonprofit leaders through the Praxis organization. And, And what strikes me about Melissa and what you will hear in this conversation with her is that her thoughts about fundraising, her thoughts about collaboration they are so deeply rooted in scripture. Um, Her theology informs her practice. And so I am so excited uh, for this conversation with Melissa. She really does have a countercultural way of thinking about fundraising and collaboration. And uh, I have been impacted by her and by IJM's incredible example of open-handedness with us. Well, prior to Melissa's current chief advancement officer role, she has led in a variety of different ways at IJM, including the vice president of strategic partnerships, national director of development, and Texas director of development. Before joining IJM in 2008, Melissa worked in business development at the University of Texas, Hook'em Horns, and for KPMG as the director of marketing in Austin. Melissa is a University of Texas alumni, but now lives outside D.C. with her husband, Paul, and two amazing boys. Without further ado, here is the conversation with the amazing Melissa Russell. Well, Melissa, thank you so much for taking time to uh, to talk to us today. And I'd love to start with your work at IJM specifically and what motivates you to be so passionate about the work of IJM. So maybe you can share with our audience just what uh, makes you so passionate about IJM's work. Oh, uh, well, one, thanks for having me today, Blake. This is uh, a real joy and a real honor to be a part of it. So I'm, I'm very grateful and would love to tell you about why I'm so passionate about IJM because I do love it so much. You know, I first heard about IJM in a sermon that our pastor gave. I was living in Austin, Texas at the time 
working uh, for the best university ever, the University of Texas at Austin. Amen. Uh, amen. Uh, may God uh, bless Texas. And I, I, I was working actually in a fundraising capacity for UT at the time. And our pastor gave a sermon. He he talked about the biblical foundation of justice. Um, really talked about what that meant, and he he said something at the end of his sermon. He w- he was also talking about injustice in the world today, and he was talking about issues that um, I I had not really known still existed. Sort of like the rampant uh, plague of slavery, uh, the level of violence against women and children, and. You know, I I was a journalism background. I sort of fancied myself as one who was somewhat up on current relevant events and really just didn't have a huge context for sort of the mass scale of everyday violence that affected uh, the poor around the world, especially in developing countries. And he said something at the end of his sermon, which was, you know, if you want to, if you really want to see what God is doing about injustice today, you should check out this, uh, this smaller, uh, NGO, this smaller nonprofit called international justice mission. And my heart was so captivated by it. And I, I literally went home that Sunday and Googled IJM.org. And this was, I think, in 2006 and became a donor. And at the time, uh, you know, was not able to give a whole lot of money. My husband had just started a small business and, you know, I was uh, working in a, you know, sort of the nonprofit development space myself, but became a donor and really fell in love with the mission. And so in 2008, I joined IGM as a staff member, but I, I love our work. I like so many great uh, nonprofits around the world. I feel like our mandate as believers is to really fix uh, broken parts uh, of the world that sin has really affected. And I think that there truly are a few things more broken in the world than the criminal justice system in uh, in the developing world. So I, I see it as a part of, you know, fulfilling our mandate as God's children, bringing heaven closer here to earth. And so it's the reason why I gave in 2006. It's the reason why I still give uh, today. It's the reason why I work for IGM. So, um, so I love it. And you started as a donor and now in your role, you are a fundraiser and you lead a team of fundraisers and people who are responsible for bringing in the resources that are necessary to go out and do this work. Yeah. And, um, I'm, I'm wondering about um, just the concept of approaching fundraising with an attitude of abundance, because fundraising can easily become territorial in nature if it starts from a place of thinking of the resources that are out there as scarce, starting with the mentality of scarcity. So I'm I'm wondering how you define an abundance mentality mentality and how you have practically led your team to, to embrace that same mentality as well. Yeah, that's a really great question. You know, it actually started. So, I I, I started with IJM as a as a frontline f- fundraiser in Texas, and oh my gosh, I love working with our donors. I especially love working with our donors in Texas. And I I took on a leadership role in I guess it was in 2010, which uh, required a move from from Austin to DC, which is where we're globally headquartered, and. I now work in our global entity, which is really working with all six of our countries that do advancement work, that do fundraising and policy change and prayer. But at the time, I was leading uh, a, a, like a, a part of the U.S. fundraising, which was really our frontline officers. And, you know, 
as I was trying to set forward new vision and, and new systems and new processes, I went down this journey of looking at, you know, well, how am I going to hold, you know, our team accountable to results? What does that look like? And thought, you know, first I should probably start with what does fundraising at a Christian nonprofit look like? Does that look any different than say working at a, a secular organization like UT? And, and that launched me into the, well, what does God think about fundraising? Like what, how does this fit into the overall picture of, of redeeming broken things here on earth, which then, you know, launched into a, well, how does God view money? And so, uh, I'm, I'm answering your question in a little bit of a long way, but it really does start with first, like, how does the scripture view, uh, fundraising? How does scripture view money? And then how do you lead teams out, out of a biblical perspective? And so, it really, I would say it was sort of a two-year journey, uh, worked with uh, Generous Giving at the time, Daryl Heald, who helped launch that ministry out of the McClellan Foundation, which for anyone listening, if you're you're not familiar, it's a fabulous ministry, uh, really grounding believers in God's call for generosity. And, and I, you know, the because the Bible is not a scarcity mentality message, it really informed how we, how we looked at that. So there's 2000 verses on money and, and how we should view money. We certainly won't cover all 2000 of them today, but I would say there are three themes that sort of stood out, uh, from the old and new Testament. And one of those is everything in the world belongs to God. Uh, God gives money as a gift and he really does give it with with a purpose of of being generous. And being generous is is a very broad sort of category. And there's lots you could say with well, what does that mean to be generous? But but built in there is is like man, everything in the world belongs to God, and therefore there there are no scarcity of resources. We serve a God that takes fish and loaves and and feed five thousand, and so. So that's, that's really where it started, which is like, what is the biblical view of all of this and how can we lead our teams out of it? And so, yeah, it's just the Bible. So if we believe, you know, <laughs> if, right. we believe yeah. it, if we believe it's true, which is why I love justice, I believe God cares about justice, why so many people love mercy and evangelism. And then, you know, also, mm. you know, there's no scarcity in God's kingdom. I love it. And this, this came to a head for you in your response to the ice bucket challenge, which for oh, yeah. anyone listening, um, is familiar with the viral video, uh, campaign that happened on Facebook. Um, and in rooting for rivals, the book highlights your response to, to this phenomenon. And how, how did you process this as a fundraiser for a different organization than the one that was using the ice bucket challenge to raise a ton oh. of money? Oh gosh, it's such, and there are so many examples of that. I can even give a, a current example of where you have a, a nonprofit that really puts forward a campaign that's a tipping point, or is just quite frankly brilliant. Like, wow, that is just so so well done. Dang, uh, man, that would be great if uh, if we were able to to have a concept that caught fire like that. You know, it. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine and who loves iJam as well. 
well. And her name is Jessica Honiger, and she leads a great organization uh, for profit called Noonday Collection. And she's so wonderful. And she's like, man, I wish, I wish the ice bucket challenge could have been for IJM. Like, I would love to see that. And and I was so, you know, everyone was amazed by how how much that caught on. But you know, one of the things that struck me was, you know, I. I, I looked at it honestly, also from the view of a mom and I, I have a kiddo that, that has, uh, that has a medical condition that has us spending a ton of time at children's national hospital in DC. And, you know, when I, when I saw that, how much that benefited ALS, I honestly thought, oh my goodness, there is some mom out there that has been like dedicating her life to, to raising awareness about an affliction that, that really affects their kid. And this is an answer to prayer for them. And, and I just thought, you know, when I saw it, I was able to approach it more than just a fundraiser. I was able to also look at it from the perspective of a, of a mom with a kiddo who I just love so much and thought, man, that's a neat thing. Amen. Amen. You got so much, not just resources, because it wasn't just resources, although it was millions and millions of dollars. It was also brilliant in a t- in terms of awareness, which, you know, opens up that sort of uh, space for even more people to care about your mission. So I was able to really put into action there. There's no scarcity of resources. And not only do I really believe that, I can also see a perspective of a, of a mom who loves their kids and no doubt they're just parents, uh, who've been waiting decades for that type of awareness. And I was, I was, I was excited for them. Well, and even in that answer is a willingness to celebrate the successes of others and not just start from a place of envy when others do something awesome. It's also being able to celebrate what is happening in that moment for someone else as well. And I think just practically, if you are a a fundraiser who is responsible for raising an organization's budget, but you also simultaneously want to hold your relationships with an open hand. You want to put the kingdom of God first. You want to operate from, you know, this place of abundance. How does it just practically, how does that work for you to be responsible for raising that money, but also um, operating in an abundance mindset? Yeah, it's a really great question. You know, I think first and foremost, again, the lens of the Bible, just always being cognizant of the fact of here's the glasses through which we view the world. And so, again, everything belongs to God and he is busy at work fixing broken things around the world. And a lot of those things uh, we get to do at IJM, but not all of them. There are a lot of broken things. And so in that, he calls people to engage uniquely in into what it is he's uh, calling them into, you know, the, the unique plan for their lives, the unique plan for their investment, the unique plan for the things he's entrusted to them. And it is a biblical mandate to make sure you understand what what God is calling people into. And so real practically, it looks like, especially if you're talking about one-on-one donor engagement with significant donors or churches, it requires a real understanding of, hey, what is it? We're entering into a conversation together about what IJM does and how you might be able to be a part of it. But this is not your first 
conversation or thought about how God might be calling you to spend your money. And so what are those things God has put on your heart? What is your journey to this place? Let me better understand that. And that informs not only one, the places that might be a better fit with even NIJM, because there's a lot of places where we work. There's a lot of different forms of violence that we take on. And so, you know, are, are you passionate about aftercare? Are you passionate about India? Are you passionate about investigative services? Like what is it that you might be most interested in, but also even more broadly in the terms of, Hey, if you're really passionate about this particular thing, you really have been prayerful and God is encouraging you to do that. And even if you haven't been, we encourage you to do that. We really encourage you to engage with God, be still with God, pursue God, If it's outside of what it is that we do, we're also swimming in a sea with a bunch of great nonprofits, and we can be free to to also recommend other great organizations that are wise stewards of their their resources, of their finances, that do great work that might even more closely align with the thing that God's really put on your heart. I think God really honors that. I really do. I, I think we answer to God first and foremost for how we serve our organizations and how we serve the world. And so, you know, it takes deliberate effort. I mean, it honestly is a, we're going to remember we're putting on the biblical glasses for which we view the world and uh, God's redemption of it and how we approach people and, and walk with people. And, you know, I will definitely try to align your passions with the, the thing our organization does, because I think we do great work, but if it's outside, Man, I should. We should totally. We should totally put you in touch with uh, with organizations and people and ministries that do the thing you're really passionate about. Hmm. And that requires such humility to be able to do that. And like we're talking about, the abundance mindset that's required to be able to do that with the the donors' interests and with the kingdom of God's interests at yeah. heart. And I'm imagining fundraisers or ministry leaders who are listening to this, who are nodding their head, agreeing with you because maybe they're in a place where their budget is on track and the income is coming in and they're feeling good about it and can easily agree with what you're saying because it's not as hard for them to raise money. But there's also probably people listening to this who feel really behind on their organization's budget. And they they feel like, yeah, I would love to be able to say that, but we really need some resources to be able to yeah. meet the needs this year. And I, I just wonder if you have any specific encouragement for a fundraiser or a ministry leader who's feeling that pressure of being behind on their ministry's budget, but also wanting to operate from the same mentality of abundance. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's... Oh gosh. I, first I'll say I, and you know, I've been at IJM 10 and a half years. And so I will say it doesn't feel any different now, especially we're going into summer months. So anyone who's in nonprofit revenue generation, summer months are slower months. You start looking at cash flow, you start looking at expenses. I, the, the way I feel every summer with an $80 million budget is the way I felt the summer of an $18 million budget. It, it, the resources to do the work you're, that are in front of you to do always feel like fish and loaves. And so that, I don't think that changes because I think nonprofits are 
they're they're taking on massive systematic issues in the world and uh, or their communities or their city, and it, it will feel that way. I do think, you know, if everything belongs to God, you know, we first and foremost ask Him for it. So we do spend quite a bit of time in prayer um, at IJM. We spend quite a bit of time in prayer in general, but we do pray a lot about that, and that I think helps rightly align our heart, just the way in which prayer does. And it also is just very practical. You ask the person who has the thing that you need. It also, you know, Tim Keller wrote a great book called Every Good Endeavor. And and in it, towards the back, talks about rest. But for nonprofits especially, you know, there can be a little bit of a misconception that we are the ones that hold up our, our corner of the world, our, our mission. And it really is, you know, the things we're set in front to do, they really belong to God. And so I do, again, I, I feel like I'm probably saying the same thing over and over again, but it's, it's just such a great reminder that not only does all the money belong to God, but our missions belong to God too. And he is good to provide what we need when we need it. And, um, and, and trusting that and just choosing to believe the Bible is true. I mean, just really choosing to believe that and stand on those promises. It's not always easy. And I mean, I feel it. It's not only you're providing for your mission, but, you know, the the mission is people. And so we're talking about the salaries, the health care, the benefits of colleagues, especially colleagues in the developing world where we work. You know, I, I, I feel that responsibility to, uh, to make sure, you know, that we are doing a good job providing for our team who are trying to provide for people in really dangerous situations. And so, so I, 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 I just would want to say to anyone who's listening, I, I fully understand that. And that is a unique responsibility to probably CEOs, CFOs, and, you know, chief revenue officers. Not many people in an organization will feel that weight quite as uniquely as people in those roles. But it is it is God's weight, and his yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And um, and I do believe he calls us to approach it with, with sort of that practice. Hmm. And you mentioned prayer as a big part of the culture of IJM. I wonder, specific to to fundraising and to even just everyone on your team specifically, what some of the regular practices are that you, that you take, take part in on a regular basis that help you maintain your first and foremost identity in Christ. Mm. IJM, I'll talk about the specific sort of spirit, what we would call spiritual formation practices that we have as an organization, and then I can talk specifically around revenue. We do have two times a day that IJMers, and this is for every office around the world, that we engage in, in, again, our, you know, reminding us of our dependence uh, and and are relying on God that will remind us of the fact that, again, this is God's mission. So uh, in the U.S., that's every morning at 8.30, 8.30 to 9, people put aside their work, and it's a time of what we call stillness. And it really is just being still before, before the Lord. Uh, that will look different for every different person. There's no pre-described way of doing that. But again, there are 
there are heavy things we're all carrying and let's be still before the Lord and receive his presence and his blessing as, and his reminder of how much he loves us and uh, the truth of the gospel and all those wonderful gifts. And so that's just a gift of time that the organization gives to their employees uh, between 8.30 and 9. And then every day at 11 o'clock, we gather together to pray for 30 minutes corporately for the thing. So that is just a massive, everyone gathers 11 o'clock and organizationally we share prayer requests. So that's prayer requests from the field. Hey, we're about to go on a rescue operation in India and, you know, here's the things we need prayer for. Or, hey, we have a client who's been assaulted in Bolivia and they're really struggling with these aspects. Let's pray for them. And it also includes uh, hey, we're really trying to raise the money for these programs, and we have these proposals out. And we don't list donors by name, but we do list, hey, here's what we're asking donors to support for. Will you pray for that? We also pray for things like IT and finance and recruiting of key positions. So it's just all the things in all the different parts of the body of the organization that need prayer. And then once a week, we pray for, we call it revenue prayer, and it's a 30-minute prayer time, and we invite everyone in the organization to join us where we just pray specifically for the financial needs of the organization. We also pray for donors during that time, not just donors to support us, but, you know, you know when you're in relationship with donors, they share things that they would like prayer for, and so uh, when they ask us to do that, we, we, we pray for them, and we ask the whole organization, uh, whoever joins us to pray for them too. I love that. Who is a rival organization that you support and why do you support them? Oh gosh, that's a great, you know, IGM has a little bit of a niche service that we provide and, you know, rescue of, from violence and abuse and sort of the restoration of the criminal justice system. So it's a little bit unique, but there are organizations, especially say in the slavery space, that uh, maybe don't do exactly what we do, but do similar things. And so I can think of one of the, like A21 is a great organization and they're wonderful. Like their leadership team. First off, if you've never heard Christine Kane like preach, you should, because she is just amazing. So just even as a teacher of God's good word, we should all listen to, to what she has to say. Cause she's really outstanding, but we've also met with their leadership team and sat down together to say, Hey, how are you guys setting up your governance agreements and how are you operationally structuring yourself to, to be the most efficient organization? And man, they have shared things with us and we have shared things with them. And it's, uh, it, that's really fun. So it's not just fundraising, but you know, even operationally, what are you learning? How can we, how can we learn from each other? Um, another organization that is much larger in size, but just even thinking about that ice bucket challenge, uh, you know, world vision just did a, they do that six K for, for water, which I just think is brilliant. I mean, talk about, bringing forward a new concept that's a little catchy because it's 6K, which is the average, you know, walk it takes for someone to get water. And so it stands out from other 5Ks that are out in the field. And one of the funny things about that, they put out this great promotional material 
And one of the key faces of their promotional material is actually our chief people officer and his daughter because they took part in the race. And I don't even know if they know that. I just loved it so much because it really is a brilliant campaign. And I mean, I just love to see brilliance. So it's just a brilliant campaign. But I also love the fact that there are so many IGM senior leaders that actually take part in the World Vision, you know, 6K for water uh, that just took place. And so, you know, we want to root for them, too, because that's great. Hmm. I love it. Is there anything else that you'd like to say to a fundraiser and a faith-based organization about what it means to root for your rivals? You know, I think I, I would just say, you know, holding things in the biblical perspective, uh, fundraising, I think fundraising is just the best thing ever to do with an organization. I would say one aspect that we didn't, we didn't talk about, but I think is so important is, you know, really taking in the biblical view of the body of Christ in, you know, in Corinthians where it talks about, you know, one part of the body can't say to the other, we don't need you. And for organizations to really, the part of uh, that first Corinthians that really has stood out to me over the years is he has placed each part of the body exactly where it needs to be. And so that means donors are not a means to the mission, but they are the mission, but also in a bigger context of the body of Christ is redeeming broken parts of the world. And that looks like criminal justice systems. It looks like education. It looks like water. You know, this is God's great work. And I think the only cure to not feeling like people and organizations are rivals is that biblical perspective, fixing our eyes on Jesus and trusting God's provision for the missions in which we serve, but we fundamentally don't own uh, because God does. And so it's a struggle. I mean, gosh, if you're struggling with it, welcome to the club. Uh, I will pray for you because I'll be praying for myself. But, uh, But I do think that that is the anecdote to fear and to anxiety is fixing our eyes on Christ so we can run that race marked out for us. Um, yeah, together. Peter and Chris, what an amazing conversation with Melissa Russell. What stood out to you about what she had to say and what do you think people should take away from this conversation? I noticed when you asked her about rivals and she started naming organizations that it was jarring. I mean, there's something jarring about hearing uh, a fundraiser, and, and I'm a fundraiser, that's my role at Hope, but hearing a fundraiser in a public forum, like a podcast, pitching us, the listeners, on an organization that is their rival. And and it's jarring because it's so unusual, and it's so unique in our world, for a, especially for a fundraiser. I mean, we're the worst at this, I think, of anyone, because we're so focused on raising money for the organization whose business card we carry. And Melissa, in, in the way she leads, she's, she sees herself as, uh, you know, her business card is for, for Jesus Christ and his kingdom. And that changes the way that she thinks about her role. Uh, and, and so one, one specific thing that jumped out to me was the way in which she and IJM recognize that spiritual formation practices 
those are the things that can combat the vices in our lives and create the opportunity for us to be open-handed. And there are things that can feel routine. They can feel mundane, whether it's prayer or taking time to study scripture together. They, to be candid, they can, those things can feel rote uh, for organizations. And I'm sure, you know, when IJM is having the times of silence and prayer and uh, coming together for their annual prayer summit annually, uh, there can time, times where it might feel like routine uh, in some ways, but it is those things that ground us and that allow us to see what God is doing outside of the boundaries of our organization. Yeah, and one of the other uh, pieces that she shared was about uh, the response uh, that a, a friend had uh, when another organization was was uh, having this incredible momentum with the Ice Bucket Challenge. And, and I loved her approach of imagining what would it be like uh, to be a parent of someone who had a child who was with right. that and framing the perspective, not primarily about the organizational lens, but she's looking at it through a different lens. She's looking at it through the lens of a mom with a child and how many of us would have a different approach if, if we could also grow in that ability to look through the lens of someone who's being impacted by that. And just increasingly, I want to have that same posture uh, when we hear of other organizations that get a major grant, when we hear right. of other individuals that are experiencing some wonderful success as a peer organization, I want to be one of the first people to stand and cheer loudly. And I can tell you that's not always my heart posture, but increasingly, I want to have that sort of a posture. And I really do believe that that stems from our theology and the way that we think about God and the way that we think about God informs the way that we look at each other. And so I just am so grateful for Melissa's example of open-handedness, looking at the lens of, of abundance and realizing that uh, five loaves and two fish might not feel like much, uh, but with God, uh, it, it, uh, it can feed the multitudes. And I just love that approach of uh, whether you're a small organization or larger uh, really looking at the world through that lens of abundance and not scarcity. Peter, you and I have been a part of donor conversations in the past where uh, we're there, you know, in at least in theory, to talk about hope, to provide an update, and that potential donor or current donor to hope will start talking about how much they love some other organization. Uh, they're, they just came back from a trip or an event or some sort of moment where they they got to see some different ministry organization. And my, I, I, I've, there've been times in the past where I'm thinking as that person's sharing, like, how can I redirect this conversation back to hope? How can I somehow find a segue in what they're saying? Oh, you were in Congo. That's awesome. Do you know that we also work in Congo or find some way to, to bridge that conversation back to what I want to talk about, as opposed to saying, as Melissa did, you know, how powerful is this organization that they're helping combat this you know, issue and uh, really celebrating and cheering on, as you said, the, the work of, of our peers and our rivals. And I love that. And, it, and it's something that's really convicting in my work as a fundraiser. Yeah, one of the challenges of, of working on this book, uh, I don't know if you feel the same way, Chris, but but you have this heightened sense of awareness of some of the issues and right. you start to see where 
where you're not all the way there. Uh, but uh, that happened literally yesterday at lunch, Chris, that example of uh, meeting with someone and, and they were sharing about how excited. And, and so even though we've been spending multiple years thinking on these themes, you still catch yourself and saying, allow me just to celebrate in this moment right. what that person is passionate about. Let me fan that flame instead of uh, trying to redirect. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I think that's something that uh, there's still uh, lots of room for improvement as we continue to, again, realize uh, there is no us and them uh, for followers of Jesus. There's only us. So let's celebrate where we see momentum and movement and excitement, even if that's beyond our organizational boundaries. Thank you for listening to the Rooting for Rivals podcast. Rooting for Rivals is a book by Peter Greer and Chris Horst with Jill Heisey that reveals how faith-based ministries can multiply their impact by cooperating rather than competing with others. You can get the book anywhere books are sold. For more information about this episode, including links to resources mentioned in the show, visit www.rootingforrivals.com podcast. 